Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt Miller. And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life. Today, we're going to depart from our usual format a bit because the times simply demand it. And today, I'd like to have a conversation about race. The question I keep asking myself is, what does this moment require of me as a leader? Well, we're recording uh, this episode on the first Tuesday in June. Um, George Floyd, a 46-year-old African-American man, died in Minneapolis on May the 25th. That was eight days ago after being handcuffed and pinned to the ground for nine minutes by a white police officer. Three other officers stood by and civilian bystanders captured it on video as they have uh, many killings in recent years. The next day, the video went viral, and the outrage was instant. Of course, this came on the heels of the brutal murder by police of Breonna Taylor in Louisville during a no-knock raid where the officers not only killed an innocent citizen but got the wrong address when the suspect that they were looking for had actually been arrested hours before. And then, of course, the recent video released of the murder of Ahmaud Arbery in South Georgia. And then there was the situation in Central Park with Christian Cooper. Protests began in Minneapolis and quickly spread to other cities across the U.S. and, in fact, the world. All four officers were fired, and one was charged with third-degree murder. There have been many peaceful protests in a number of cities, and there have been also outbreaks of violence, looting, and arson. We've heard from at least one of our Business Accelerator coaching clients that has a place of business in Minneapolis that was almost completely destroyed. And all this is happening during a global pandemic, in case you forgot. It's easy to do right now. Um, But tensions are incredibly high. Yes, they are. And in terms of the issue of race in our country, we're at one of those big moments. And I'd like to think, you know, we're at a tipping point. I hope that we are. But one of those big moments that come along once a generation or so. And as a leader talking to leaders, I know that we have to face this, learn what we can and take action. This moment, I think, for many of us is a real test of our leadership, but I want to open the conversation about it for our audience, because my guess is that most of you listening to this, particularly if you're white, don't really know what to do. You know, you want to do something, you feel the impulse to do something, but you're afraid of making a mistake. And so we just want to talk about that. As we begin this episode, we're going to have a lot to say to white people, but I want to start by saying to my black brothers and sisters that I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the pain that you've had to endure for generation after generation after generation. I'm sorry and repent of my own complicity in that. And I've said this in a variety of circles, but I don't know Jack. I'm somebody who's learning, who's trying to have an honest assessment of my responsibility in this, and what I can do to change this situation. And so I, I, I hope you come along with us for the ride here, because frankly, we need your voice. We need your help. We, we, we need you to get this right. And I'm not putting on you the responsibility to educate us. That's my work. I understand that. But to the extent that you can nudge us and point us in the right direction, I would be really grateful. So there's one thing I want to say at the outset, and that is that I'm coming to this in the posture of a student. One of the things that we've taught since I was heavily involved in Platform University is that when you have a public platform 
And honestly, every leader does have a public platform. It may just be your, your employees, your teammates, but you've got a platform. You can approach that as a sage, as a Sherpa, or as a student. You know, the sage is the person who has all the wisdom, all the experience, all the knowledge and understanding. You know, that's not me in this context. Then there's the Sherpa. This person isn't as experienced as the sage, but they've been to the mountain. They know how to get back there. And that's a great posture to write from as well. But I'm not even approaching this as a Sherpa. I'm totally 100% a student. So what we're going to be sharing in this podcast is not intended to be prescriptive for others. Neither Megan nor I are claiming to be experts. I don't know Jack. So I'm starting this conversation for my benefit as well as yours. And I'm asking all of you to join us and to help us. This isn't a one-way, top-down conversation. We want to be together in this. So I think it's probably good to just start by kind of the emotional reaction that we've had and and probably a lot of you have had as you've been watching these events unfold. Um, you know, Dad, I think as a human being, there's just the sense of shock and anger and disbelief and fear and disgust. It's a pretty astonishing thing, you know, if you watch that video um, or if you just read the description, uh, it, you know, of George Floyd, it, it is arresting to say the very least, you know, I mean, you just are stopped in your tracks by uh, the graphic nature of it, the inhumanity of it, the callousness of it. There's just so many things that went through my mind. I can't speak for every white person, but for a lot of white people that I know, I was just afraid of, you know, I didn't understand the nuances. I didn't understand the complexity of it. I was afraid of saying something that would, that would create more pain or that would create offense. And so for days, I just didn't say anything. And then, then the other thing was I was concerned. I just, it just felt like, you know, if I posted something and I ended up posting something on Instagram and then on Facebook, but I, I kept thinking, if I do that, am I just virtue signaling? You know, am I doing this to make me feel better? And and I've seen so many people put up a social media post and think they've actually done something yeah. of consequence. And and I felt like, you know, if you post something on, on social media, you know, great. And this is why I finally did it because I felt like my voice needed to be heard. And I thought it might give other white people like myself courage to at least begin and to say something. But, you know, just because you post something on social media doesn't mean anything. But I think we have to speak. You know, I think that's what leaders do, even if to say nothing other than I see you and I, I can't imagine, I, I can never be in the shoes of my African-American friends and know what it's like to be traumatized by this. I don't even pretend to do that. I can never know what that's like, but I can see it. I can acknowledge it. I can try, you know, to, to empathize with it and certainly have compassion for it. And one of the things that, that I did do, the very first thing I did finally, when I kind of said, okay, I got to do something, even if I, even if I trip all over myself and embarrass myself, the first thing I did and I think, again, we're not trying to be prescriptive, but if you're a white person in a position of leadership, this may be something to consider. And that is to reach out specifically as the CEO of our company to check in with the people on our team who are African-American and to say to them, you know, look, I just want you to know this is not okay. You know, that that I, I can't imagine what this must be like for you. It's got to be re-traumatizing every time this happens. And I mean, this is not like a lone incident. This is one more incident in a 450-year history. And, you know, I, just, I can't, can't imagine what that's like, but just 
but just to kind of express, and I, and I said, you know, not that my feelings matter so much, but I want you to know that I'm feeling anger, great sadness, and frankly, embarrassment. You know, dad, I, I had kind of like this very strange dual experience, which is, you know, over time becoming more familiar to me. I had an experience as, um, you know, a white American woman viewing this kind of from the outside, so to speak, like you were talking about and being horrified and all that. And then I had the experience of being a mom of two African-American boys and a baby girl. And my boys are 10 and 11 or 10 and 12, right at the point of almost being teenagers. And, you know, I'm sorry, I'm crying. It's this is just hard. It's hard to talk about. And and by the way, I just want to say that in my emotion, lest it seems stupid or in some way, I am not saying that my experience is equivalent of being an African-American mom with black children. I know that this is just a part of that. Um, but, but it is a unique part of my experience that this hits home in a way for us that, that is unique, um, as white parents. You know, to to have to sit my boys down. We we finally did it. We sat them down um, this past weekend, and we said, "Guys, we got to we got to talk to you about something. We got to talk to you about the police, and we've got to talk to you about what you need to know about engaging with the police." And to and I know this is a very common experience for African American parents, but to watch as you take the innocence away from your children, to watch them go from. The world is basically a safe place where I ride my bike around the neighborhood and go to the pool and play with my friends to I have to be very careful. And there are things that I can't do that my white cousins who live down the street will never, ever, ever be talked about. You know, Um, I said in my Instagram post that, you know, I, I just kind of wondered, how do I how do I protect my kids in our neighborhood? This is not new. None of this is new. It's just that we finally have cell phone videos and social media and, you know, media itself has been very democratized in that way. And we're all sitting at home because there's a pandemic and we can't go anywhere and we have to pay attention and we're not distracted. And this is happening. So while my experience is a small part of this, let if that resonates with you, if you're listening to this and, and you're white and you're a parent, and, you know, and what I'm saying resonates, just think of that as a tiny, tiny, tiny drop in the bucket of what parents all across this country are feeling fearful, angry, because this is wrong and it's terrifying. Well, Megan, thank you for sharing the emotion of that. It occurred to me this morning as I was reading, and by the way, one of the things I've been trying to do is is just educate myself. And and I'm a little bit angry about this. I feel like I've been deprived of so much of our history. There's this, this black history has been expunged from our textbooks. And this morning I was reading The Warmth of Other Suns, which Megan, you had recommended to. Yeah, it's excellent. And the thing that I love about it, it's basically black history from the Civil War to the present, but told through the eyes of three individuals who lived it. And so you sort of get all the the emotion of it, plus the historical context and all that. And I realized that as as a leader, one of the and, and particularly as a white leader, one of the things that I haven't had as a frame of reference is history. I haven't I haven't understood. You know, I've heard my African American friends talk about 
reparations or white privilege or systemic injustice and all of that. I've just, I, I kind of haven't said much, but it kind of felt like, I mean, if somebody pressed me and threw me up against the wall, I think I would say, well, it just seems like an overreaction until you understand the history. And by the way, when you say history, I think what you mean is the context of historical events, but in no way should any of us kid ourselves that this is in the past. No, that's I right. I mean, there are there are so many things, of course, that are in the past, but this is being lived out today. And I think, I think that's one I'm, of the things you find as you start educating yourself. I think as Christians and as white Christians, the thing that um, needs to grab our heart is the need for repentance. And, you know, when I say that, I, I mean it in two ways. First of all, individually, because all of us have been um, influenced and affected by racism. It's woven into the fabric of our country and into the fabric of our minds. Um, it's evil. And all of us have racist impulses and thoughts and attitudes, some of which we're aware of, some of which we're not. All of those individually need to be repented of. So that's one thing. But then there's something else that is a collective repentance. And, you know, it's so interesting. I have never seen more resistance to a very Christian idea, the idea of generational sin, the idea of collective repentance, which is like, you know, our own thing, um, than I have seen from white conservatives, people who, and, and I don't care what, you know, your political identification is, um, there's just a resistance to admit wrong. And I want to just say something. There is no peace that's worth anything until there's repentance and until there's justice. But I think once you start understanding the history, what you will see is that at the very minimum, you are undeniably the beneficiary of the wealth and prosperity that was built on the back a free and stolen labor. Yep. I think if you're a leader, you know, I think it's it's important that you take a stand. Here's what I, here's what I found from my Facebook post. You know, I was so all right, my Instagram post and my Facebook post is that I was so nervous about offending, but I got more views and more comments on that post than any post I've ever done before. Mm -hmm. Most of the comments up until probably yesterday, most of the comments were from black people who are incredibly generous, warm, thankful, encouraging, helpful. The only few negative comments I got initially from were from woke white people that were disappointed that I was late waking to the party. up so late. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I actually started adopting the hashtag woke up late because <laughs> that's kind of what I did. Woke up late. Yeah. Okay. So we want to turn a corner. And we want to talk about, as leaders, what's required of us in this moment. And I think there's at least three actions that we need to take. First of all, we need to practice discernment. Things are not always what they seem. That's why it's incredibly important for us to educate ourselves, to assume the posture of a beginner, somebody who's just starting but who is seeking to understand. Things are not what they seem. There's real reasons why these things exist in our society, and we didn't just get here overnight. We've got to, as leaders, we've got to dig in deep and understand what's behind sort of the context of what's happening right now. 
Some good recommendations for books, you know, if this is a topic you have not read much about at all, I want to recommend that, if that's true for you, that you start with a book called The Myth of Equality, Uncovering the Roots of Injustice and Privilege, and it's written by a pastor named Ken Weitzma. That's a really good overview, historical overview, um, also overview of kind of the Christian perspective and the role of the church in injustice. And I think in a in a pretty quick read, you can have a working knowledge of what we feel like, you know, kind of are the big things to understand. Um, then another great book is How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi. That uh, is a book that's getting a lot of press right now and for good reason. It's, it's a, a great read, but um, if you haven't read anything, I would probably start with The Myth of Equality. And then the book that my dad was talking about earlier is called The Warmth of Other Sons by Isabel Wilkerson. And Larry will put these in the show notes for you. So if you're listening to these while you're out running or driving or something, you know, you can come back to them later. Another one is called White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism by Robin D'Angelo. The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein. And then Ta-Nehisi Coates' Between the World and Me which is a really important book. That's a hard book, but it's a really important book. Okay, so that's our first point, is that we have to be discerning and we have to educate ourselves. The second point I want to make is that we need to practice humility. And this is important to say because it's easy to read a book or two and suddenly feel like you're an expert, right? We don't want to do that. And again, I've said publicly, I keep saying it, maybe I should turn this into a hashtag. I don't know Jack and I haven't done Jack. And, and by the way, I, I did have some people that said to me, well, I can't believe, you know, that you're admitting you don't know anything. Well, I, I have done some reading in the past, but I still feel like I don't know Jack. And that's a good posture to retain. None of us should act, act like we have all the answers. We got to be aware of judging people, whether they're black or white. As we said, things are not always what they seem. And one of the things I find is people are incredibly forgiving if you're humble. You know, if if I start with, I don't care if you're if you're talking to your employees or if you're, you know, making a social media post, if you start with the fact that you probably don't know what you're talking about, people are very forgiving, you know? And so that kind of humility is required of leaders at all times, but it's particularly required in this moment where it's easy to become a demagogue, to pontificate, to become suddenly the expert, to be opinionated. Look. We have too many opinions. We don't need more opinions. What we need is more humility. And especially this leads to sort of the 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 way you know you're being humble is if you're willing to listen. You know, there's a reason why God gave you two ears and one mouth. Shut up. Listen. Let other people tell their stories. And then I think the last step is commitment to taking action. I mean, at some point, if we're just learning, we're not doing anything. There's no way that we can contribute to the cause of justice. You know, we don't want to be uh, hearers only. We want to be doers. And I think that's a really important concept. I think the question is, what is it for us to do? And there's a great article that um, former President Barack Obama 
posted yesterday as we're recording this with some really practical steps. A lot of it needs to happen at the policy level, at the state and local levels. And that's something, Dad, that I think you and I are really committed to educating ourselves about. You know, one of the kind of features of white privilege is when everything's pretty much working for you. It's really easy to be complacent. It's really easy not to invest yourself in um, understanding kind of what's going on in your community, uh, what laws are racist or anti-racist and what needs to change, you know, and admittedly in my situation, I really don't know. I don't know how our police department is doing. I don't know, um, you know, how our DA is doing, for example. And those are things I need to understand better. And I need to understand what the laws are, the policies, um, so that I and, and those around me can help to affect and change those things. So I think that's a great step for us. There's a lot of groups, by the way. This is not something in terms of action that you have to do on your own. Um, here in our community, there's a group called The Public that is doing a lot of educational and um, activism work. And that's something that I think is happening in a lot of communities right now that you can get involved with. I mean, I think you want to see a diversity of leadership. If the leadership is only white, that's going to be a problem, you know, but um, there, you don't have to figure it all out on your own. I think really, you know, the ultimate goal is that we would have justice and that we would have healing. And I think healing has to happen in relationships. And so that's why having a community that you're able to get connected to is really key. So I would just look for that. Another great resource on that is Be the Bridge that Tasha Morrison leads. Um, there are chapters all over the country of that um, that you can get involved with and learn and learn how to take action and all of that stuff. So um, just, you know, don't sit on your education and think that knowledge is enough because we have to change the system. We have to remake it in a way that there's truly justice for all people. Megan, as we wrap up this conversation, and, and I just got to say, I, I, feel inadequate to all this. I'm not sure we've covered all the right bases, but but I do feel like this is an important conversation. But as we wrap this up, do you have any final thoughts? It's probably the hardest time you've ever asked me for my final thoughts. You know, it's like we do this all the time and usually it feels pretty easy. I think this feels hard. Um, this is hard, you know, and it actually should be hard. I think it's appropriate that it's hard. It's appropriate that we feel overwhelmed. It's appropriate that we feel all kinds of things that are coming up because this is a really big deal. I mean, it's really the original sin of this nation and it's really never been reckoned with, you know, in most of our own hearts and lives, this is true for me until somewhat recently, um, you know, this, I didn't deal with this in my own heart and certainly didn't uh, engage at a community level in this conversation. And I think it's time, you know, there's, there's so much at stake. And I think these moments kind of like dad, you were saying earlier, these moments only come by every so often. And if we miss this one, what is that going to cost us? You know? Um, so I hope that as white folks listening to this, that we're, we're willing to get over our discomfort, that we're willing to step into the, the discomfort, the, um, the sense of, I'm not sure what to do and I'm afraid I'm going to do it wrong and I feel threatened and, you know, all the things that come up just naturally as a part of this conversation and move through that to a place that ultimately leads us to repentance. I think if there's one word I hope you remember from this episode that you really take to heart, it's repentance because I don't think anything else can come that's good on the other side of this until we do that individually and collectively. I think as um, my final thought, I just want to say 
that we also need to have hope. It's very easy for this to be dark and heavy and for us to feel like, you know, a sense of despair and how can we make any progress? And this is so big and gnarly, you know, how can we improve it? But I really think we can. I do believe there were at a tipping point and I do believe that you listening to this podcast can make a difference. You may not be able to solve the entire problem of the nation, but there are people where you live, your neighbors, where you can have an impact. And that's what I'm asking myself to do. Not, not how I can, you know, solve it at a federal level or even at a state level or even at a city level, but how can I make a meaningful change in the communities where I live and operate? And I've already got some ideas. I don't want to share those in future episodes, but right now I just need to shut up and listen. And I hope you use this as an opportunity to read and study because the truth is it's going to take all of us. We need you. We need your involvement. We need your commitment. We need your willingness to to engage and enter into this process. So guys, thank you for joining us today. I know this has been a very different kind of episode, but we'll see you right here next week with another episode of Lead to Win.